Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hey, church, we are at the very start of a series. Um, on David and Saul, Scott, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, firstly, is this is this timer counting me up or counting me down? Okay, because I'm definitely got more than four minutes to go. <laughs> um, that's great. Hey, we are starting a series on David and Saul. How many of you know who David is? Let me see those hands. How many of you know who Saul is? Okay, a few hands there too. Saul and David are, are um, significant characters in Scripture or in the Bible. However, generally, I have found, I grew up in church, I've not often heard us talk about the two of them together. If you've heard of David, you've heard of David and Goliath. It was the only time you were all in unison today. It was wonderful. David and Goliath, because that's what we know of David. If I say Saul, you think Saul and? Exactly. No one has a story where they know what Saul is about. But David and Saul are such a contrasting example of scripture and contrasting example of what it is to live in life that we've actually been um, planning for this series for, oh, I don't know, I think, I think we decided we would do this series in, in June. Uh, last year we decided we'd do it. And I, I was really excited to do it. To be honest, I tried to find a way if I could have, if I could have, but remember the church is not mine and it's not about me. But if I could have, I probably would have tried to preach all the series uh, everywhere all at once but I'm not. Thank the Lord. Um, which reminds me, if I haven't had a moment to introduce myself, my name's Josiah, and I realize that some of you don't know who I am. And I am, along with my wife, Kimberly, we are the associate pastors of the church, but we reside in Vernon. So we're also the Vernon location pastors. All that means is we're pastors in the church and you don't see us very often. That's all you really need to know. Um, but I'm excited to share a message on this. And I do encourage you to um, before we get started, to plan to take notes. So whether you're taking that on a digital device, whether you're taking that in a notebook, uh, whatever it is, plan to take notes. Here's the thing. It's not because what I have to say is more important, which is why you should write it down. There's two practical reasons. One, you remember more. And I think that, that time is our most valuable resource. Anyone agree? So if you're here for a period of time, why not get the most out of it? Doesn't that just make sense? So writing notes so you get the most of the time that you're investing. Um, and the second thing is I find when I hear someone preach that God wants to highlight something for me. I usually leave messages and people will come to me and say, wow, that was amazing when you said that. I'm like, yes, it was. I go home and I said, I never said that. Never said it at all. But what I love about it is it clarifies to me that God's able to speak even through me. So take notes so that when God's speaking, you can record it. Make sense? Um, and we're going to start uh, at a verse, and it's not going to be the one that they have on the screens because I gave them every other verse but this one, um, which is why the screen people love me with the love of Jesus only. Uh, and we're going to start in 2 Samuel uh, verse 1. And we're starting the series. It's funny. I'm starting the series on David and Saul, and we're going to preach on it in the next three weeks. Uh, I think Pastor I don't, I don't know. Pastor Kimberly's here next week, I think, preaching with you guys. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to start at the end. So we're going to go from 2 Samuel, starting in verse 1 to verse 14. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, but I'll read it here. It said, After Saul died, David returned to Ziklag. 
He had won the battle over the Amalekites. He stayed in Ziklag for two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp. His clothes were worn. He had dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to show him respect. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I've escaped from Israel's camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. He said, Israel's man ran away. Israel's men ran away from the battle. Many of them were killed. Saul and his son, Jonathan, are dead. David spoke to the young man who brought him the report. He asked him, how do you know that Saul and his son, Jonathan, are dead? I just happened to be there on Mount Gilboa, the young man said. Saul was there too. He was leaning on his spear. The enemy chariots and chariot drivers had almost caught up with him. Then he turned around and saw me. He called out to me. I said, what do you want me to do? He asked, who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, stand here by me and kill me. I'm close to death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him. I did it because I knew that after he had lost the battle, he would be killed anyway. So I took the crown that was on his head. I also took his armband. I brought them here to you. You are my master. Then David tore his clothes and all the men tore their clothes. All of them were filled with sadness. They mourned over the whole nation of Israel. They didn't eat anything until evening. That's because Saul and Jonathan and the Lord's army had been killed by swords. David spoke to the young man who had brought him the report. He asked, where are you from? I'm the son of an outsider in Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to kill the Lord's anointed king? Then David called for one of his men. He said, go strike him down. So he struck the man down and the man died. That's because David said to him, anything that happens to you will be your own fault. What your own mouth has spoken is a witness against you. You said, I killed the Lord's anointed king. My title today, if you want to write at the top of your page, is Fear, Death, and Honor. Fear, Death, and Honor. Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you that your presence is here. We thank you that you want to speak. God, I pray that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Could you repeat after me? God's timing is perfect. Okay, one more time. God's timing is perfect. All right, one more time. God's timing is perfect. Now, how many of you believe that? How many of you want to believe that? How many of you have situations in your world right now that said God's timing is garbage? <laughs> so we have a half honest church. It's good. God's timing is perfect. This is the one thing I want you to walk away with at the end of today's message. God's timing is perfect. There's a lot of things God's timing is. It's inconvenient. It's in the nick of time. It's not in my timing. It's not the way I want. It's out of my control. Yet, God's timing is perfect. If I could think of one character in scripture that demonstrates this more than anyone else, it's the character of David. Now we're starting at the end when Saul has died and David is weeping 
because of Saul's death. When he hears the story that Saul has died, he is not comforted by the story. Over the next few weeks, you'll hear a number of stories, even more if you tune into the podcast because you hear the stories from around our church of Saul and David and the life that they live coexistent together. Saul was the very first king of Israel. Israel had never had a king. They'd always had a priest who was in charge of the people. The priest who heard from God and spoke God's desires to the people. The people got sick of waiting on God's timing from the priest and they wanted to look like the rest of the world. They begged the priest and said, please give us a king so we can look like the rest of the nations around us. Ever been a time in your life where you felt like, please give us what everyone else has so I can look like what they do. Please give me what they have because that looks like success and what I have doesn't feel like success in this moment. They cry out and God says, they shouldn't have a king, but I'll give them a king. As you go through the story, you find that Saul is anointed as the king, the very first king of the Israelites. And it doesn't take long for us to see in the character of Saul, a man who is led not by what God wants to do, but honestly, he's afraid of everything. Saul's anointed to be king. They come to him, they find him because he's tall and handsome. Tall and handsome people should be kings, I agree. He's tall and handsome. This was the criteria that they find him. They they anoint him as king. God says he should be king. They anoint him as king. And when it comes to the moment for them to proclaim or to, to expose and put him on platform, if you will, to tell everyone he's king, they can't find him. Because he's so afraid, he's hiding. Oh, dear Lord, give me a leader who's afraid to even start. But this is what the Israelites cried out for. Something that didn't look like what God wanted for them, but looked like what they wanted for themselves. Saul's whole story is filled with this fear. David is raised up and and, and shortly after the, the, the Saul anointing story, we have this moment where Saul does something and he loses favor with God. And Samuel, the priest at the time says, uh, or God says to Samuel, I want you to go and anoint another king. And maybe you've heard this story before and, and, it, and it goes out and he, and he goes to the, uh, Jesse's household, who's the son or the father of David. He goes and he, he talks and looks at all the sons and he sees all these people who look like the part. So much so that David's not even in the room because the dad thought he doesn't look anything like the part. I'm not even going to include him in the process. David's out in the field. He comes and he gets anointed as king. David's about 16 at the time when he's anointed as king. Saul is the king. David's anointed as a king. Saul, when he's anointed as king, hides. When David's anointed as king, he gets hid in. David then spends all of his time hidden from the purpose of God. They interact regularly. And how many of you know, like, Saul loved David, never tried to kill him? No. Every moment, Saul's fear of David led him to act out of his fear of who David was, of David taking the throne from him, of David taking the position that Saul had stepped into that he was afraid to have. They're so afraid of what it is that he's constantly trying to make something not happen that was God's will to happen. How many of you know fighting against God's will isn't really the best use of your time? 
Unfortunately, can I also tell you, probably a good percentage of us in this room are fighting against God's will, which is not a good use of your time. Saul spends all his time fighting against God's will. David, I, lo I love the character of David. I love the story that David shows in his interaction with Saul. All these times, Saul is trying to kill him. So if anyone has a right to take the throne that he's already been anointed for, David is the man, right? If anyone has a right, Saul's tried to kill him. I've already been anointed as king. Yet every time David is placed into a situation where he can acquire the throne, acquire the kingdom in his own might, he looks at Saul and recognizes not who Saul is, who is a terrible person at this point in time, but he recognizes that it doesn't matter the conduct of Saul because Saul yet is God's anointed one. Saul, sorry, David has this recognition that when I look at Saul, I'm not just looking at the man and the human, but I'm looking at the anointing, I'm looking at the position, I'm looking at the authority, I'm looking at the place that God has put on Saul, not just the place that man has put on Saul. It's an amazing thing that changes in our world when we start to look at people, not based on what we see, but what God sees. A couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I knew you guys had uh, Bob Strugnell preaching here and he shared a thought about how it changed his perspective when he started to look at political figures as humans, as people with children, as husbands, as sons. It changes our perspective of that person that really is doing us a whole lot of wrong when we start to see them not just as the person who's doing wrong, but we start to see them in the place of God's son and daughter. This man in this scripture I just read in 2 Samuel 1 to 14, the Amalekite, he sees that Saul is dead and, <clears throat> and scholars would have some conflict a little bit about this, uh, whether the Amalekite is telling a lie because the previous chapter tells us another story of how Saul died or whether this is how I've always viewed it is Saul was injured and this Amalekite just finished him off. But the Amalekite, he brings the crown and he brings the bracelet of Saul to David because what we've learned in the story of David and Saul is that David was Saul's enemy. Through all the time after David, uh, after this song was sung where David kills 10,000s and Saul kills thousands, Saul becomes jealous and afraid of what David wants to do. So, da so David becomes Saul's enemy. And Malachite, he brings the crown, he brings the bracelet, he brings it to David because he's certain that if David is Saul's enemy, then Saul must be David's enemy. Catch that? If David is Saul's enemy, then Saul must be David's enemy. Therefore, if I bring him the example, if I bring him the crown of authority, if I bring him the bracelet of rule, if I bring him these things that show that his enemy is dead, that the kingdom is now his to have, then he will glorify me because I have done a good thing. So many good things that we try and do are not God things that he wants us to do. We come to God with our good thing and God's saying, that's not my God thing. David, I couldn't imagine at 15, 
I believe David's uh, about 30 something before he's a king of anything. Firstly, he gets anointed as king of uh, Judah. And then, so he doesn't get the whole kingdom. He gets part of the kingdom before he gets the whole kingdom. But I can you imagine being David, knowing that I'm going to be king, being in all these places where I could acquire the thing that is promised to me, yet God being the authority over me that says, no, I won't do it in my might. I'll wait for his timing. There's another story in the Bible, his name uh, of a couple, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarai. God speaks to Abraham and says, you'll have a child. Timing doesn't work. He's like, I'm old. She's old. He got slapped across the face when he said that. So they tried to do something in their might because they don't understand God's timing. God's timing is, let's try it again. God's timing is, Probably the reason only one person said that is because only one person wants to believe that. Because I have found God's timing to be highly inconvenient. Right now, there are some things that I need in our future, in the church, in my life, and the end date that I need it by is fast approaching. And I'm looking at God and saying, God, I need this. And God says, I know. And I say, but I need it now. But then he reminds me of the Lord's prayer that says, give us today our daily bread. He's like, is it today's issue? I'm like, I think so. <laughs> but we can't depend on God if we're not dependent on his timing. We want to say we depend on God, but we want a buffer. Yeah. We want God show, to show up, but beforehand. We want to be in a place where we know he's going to show up. We look at this story, right? So here's the reality of this story. You got 2 Samuel uh, verse, chapter 1, and, and the Amalekite comes and, and tells that David, that Saul is dead. And we can look at this story and like, don't worry, David. See, you became king eventually. There was so many years between the fulfillment of God's promise in his life and the initiation of the promise in his life. So many years for David to be like, will it happen? So many times that Saul was throwing a spear at his head, chasing, throwing arrows at him, chasing him with an army. How many times when you think the enemy or that Saul is attacking me, but I know one day I'll be king, don't worry, if I'm still alive. I wonder sometimes if that's what God's trying to do in us. I know that sounds really pleasant, does it? Scripture talks about carrying our cross. We were reading this morning, the kids and I, in Romans uh, chapter 8. And it says, um, it, it talks about uh, that I have died to myself. That I've put on Christ. That I'm dead to sin because no longer I who lives. And I wonder if something in this story is telling us that, that David had to get to a place where he could no longer be dependent on himself. Because is it true obedience and trust in God if you're still dependent on some of yourself? Is it true trust and obedience in what God can do if I still think, well, if God doesn't show up, I'll do this? I remember talking to church planters a number of times. I've talked to uh, various church planters, people who started churches, because that church planter sounds a little weird. Um, I'm digging the soil. I put a little church seed in the ground and it flourishes. (laughs) 
and little people drop off trees. I don't know, I don't know. that's what I started to see. <laughs> see, it does sound weird. Um, people who started churches, and, and I, I've talked so many times to them, and they've you know, moved countries or, or done this or that, and they said, I had to, you know, like, that, that, let's say they moved from a country, they said, I had to sell everything there because I couldn't have a plan B. Because if I had a plan B, I could never dig into what God has for me. Pastor Mark Kelsey, he's a pastor, um, in, he's, uh, a pastor in C3 Sydney. Um, and he says this, uh, and it's such a, a potent word. He says, in everything God gives you, do it as though it's forever and know that it never is. Whatever God gives you, you have to treat it as though it's eternal. Dig, uh, uh, um, cultivate, work on, believe for, trust. But you have to make sure you're not holding on it so tight so when God says it's time to move, that you're saying, well, no, God, I'm still here. Want to know another interesting uh, phrase I heard this week? I was uh, sitting on a call with a number of pastors and we were talking about uh, what I feel like is a move of God coming. Um, and if that doesn't mean something to you, that's fine. You can put it aside. But really what I, what I mean in that, I guess you can't put it aside because I'm going to talk about it again. What I mean in that is that it's just this time where God is um, present and moving in the world in a different way than he has before. And history, uh, one of the pastors, he said, history has showed that the greatest, um, uh, the greatest, uh, what's the word, advocates against, the greatest, uh, the people who are, most against the next move of God are those who were present at the previous move of God. Because they want it to look like that move of God. And I find so many people who are living in that move of God and haven't found today's bread. You know that story of the Israelites in the, in the, in the, um, the desert where manna would come from the ground, this powder-like coriander, this food that God would provide from heaven that would show up every day and you'd have to trust that God would show it up the next day. And then just to throw caution to the wind, on, sat, on, on Fridays it would show up and you could have it for two days, but every other day the worms would do it. Supernatural at its core. But just that simple reality that trusting God becomes the essential ingredient, not for the provision, but for the obedience. David lived a life clarifying that he trusted God for God's timing. So much so that even when Saul, who David then would replace, came into the kingdom, David didn't celebrate. He was sad and grieved. Let's find it. Um, this scripture they do have, I just got to find the right reference. It's in 2 Samuel 1 verse 23. If they don't have it, then I did something wrong. It's never their fault. It's always mine. This is the truth. Immediately after the story that we read there of the Amalekite coming and, and David um, sent him to his death because, why? Not because he killed Saul, but because he killed God's anointed one. When David looked at Saul, he didn't see Saul. He saw God's anointed one. And he sings a song of sadness. And this is a, 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 a verse from the song of sadness. It says, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. Can I tell you something? Is this the scripture up here? Is it not? Where'd it go? Can we put it back? Is that all right? Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. You did hear the little brief I gave you about Saul, right? He was not pleasant in his life. He was not pleasant to David of anyone. 
He, gif- he gifted him his daughter as a wife, and then he took the wife away. <laughs> he did all of these things. He, he, he was not pleasant, but, so, but David sees a man very different than the man sees himself. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. David's resolve about what God sees in people is far greater than his resolve of what he wants to see in himself. So many examples that David could have taken the throne. But what does David know? God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect through the lens of God's authority. What does God's timing being perfect teach me? It teaches me to trust in God's authority. How many times do I look out at a situation and it begins to get more and more impossible as I'm waiting for God's timing to show up? Well, God, I know that if we needed to get this done at this time, then we had to get that done by last week and you didn't get it up. And then it's, so how are we gonna get this done? Yet the impossibility becomes greater when God's timing becomes nearer. Because God's timing is perfect. And, and let me say this on top of that is um, uh, so, often the, so often for me, the reason I have a, tr- a challenge with God's timing is because when I want God's timing, I actually want my desires. I've learned that God cares far more about what he's doing in me through obedience than he cares about what the outcome is. I remember a friend of mine, again, he was a church planter a number of years ago. He said about church planting, he said, God's preparing a place for you, but he's also preparing you for a place. How unfortunate is it the times that I've had it in my life when I look back, like this story, look back. When I see these times where God wanted to move or God could show up, but I hadn't prepared myself to be ready for it. Do you know if God is coming with a move, you actually need to be prepared for it. Had a conversation with someone yesterday who um, they lead our, our worship team in Vernon. And, you know, the team's same size as the team here. And I said, if suddenly 15 team members showed up, would you have been developed enough as a leader to be able to lead them? Or can God not send them because you're not ready for them? Sometimes the reality is God's timing is waiting on our work and development. God's timing is working on our obedience, working on our heart, working on our soul. Because God wants you to be prepared when the harvest is ready, not just the harvest there and no one ready. God's cultivating the soil soil of our soul while he's preparing for what he wants to do. Because God's timing is perfect. David and Saul are just such polar opposites. And I'd encourage you in, in this month, um, what month are we? We're February. I think we're December, aren't we? I'm joking. Um, I'd encourage you to take some time, set it apart, and read through the book of 1 Samuel. You can read through the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel if you can. Really, they were, only, they were originally one book, but they ran out of 
they were written on scrolls before, right? So there wasn't enough room to keep going. So they had to stop the scroll and do the next one. Um, but really, it's just one book. But I highly encourage you to read First Samuel. Read it through so when, as the preachers come in over the next three weeks, you can know the stories they're talking about. You can set yourself up to be prepared for God's timing. What is, what is your current frustration? Better put, who is your current frustration? Is it what God has spoken to you that you've yet to see? Are you David who's been anointed for a role and it's been 15 years? And the opportunities come and they go, they come and they go, they come and they go. Are you questioning the word that God gave you? Or are you standing on the truth that, hey God, when is your time, it'll be the right time. And I won't make it happen in my own strength, but I'll rely again on what you're doing in me. Is it, is it your greatest frustration? Is it the leader in front of you, your boss, your church? It's probably me, generally. No, not too many awkward laughs, that's great. Is it the leader in front of you that you don't think is doing a very good job? Are you the rest of the world looking at Saul as an incompetent um, leader, as someone who should be removed from that position? Or are you, David, honoring him not based on who Saul is, but on who God is? Here's, here's a differentiation. Um, I, don't, I might have said it this morning. I don't remember if I did or not. Um, the world wants to deal with the culture of respect. Respect says you earn it. The kingdom does not deal with the culture of respect. It deals with the culture of honor. Honor doesn't say you earn it. Honor says I gift it based on him, not based on you. If you, ever wanna, if you ever want to challenge your opinion of how you treat leaders in your world, bosses, church leaders, authorities, doesn't matter, look at the story of David as an example. David has every reason in human condition to treat Saul with contempt, with anger, with distrust, with all of these things. Yet David constantly looks at him, not as Saul, but as God's anointed. It's funny, because the thing that happens when I choose honor isn't that they change. We always want that, don't we? We want them to get fixed so that we can be better. Can I give you a pastoral comment for a moment? If you are having a problem in a relationship, you can't change them, but you can change you. As you continue to look at them to change, you are missing the opportunity for the relationship to change. I know, we want them to change so that it changes our relationship, but actually, we change to change the relationship. If you start honoring your boss when no one else does, it'll change. If you start honoring your pastor when no one else does, it'll change. If you start honoring your authorities, government, whatever they are, it'll change. Your team leader in church who you're serving on a team, you start honoring them. You know, when they ask you to do something, you say yes, not why. Because it's a condition built in your heart that says, hey, I will put them on a place recognizing what God does. Because was David honored in the end? Yes. In God's timing. And what's God's timing? God's timing is 
Perfect. Yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it's in the last minute. Yes, it's not what I want, but it is perfect. The beauty of hindsight is we look at how God was ordaining those steps so they lined up to here. The challenge of present is not seeing the end. But use whatever example you have of God's timing being perfect. And maybe the only example you have is David. Of God's timing being perfect. Use that example to give you the confidence to continue in obedience and trust of what God's doing in this moment. That it will be accomplished in the right time. Because I want to to be a person who recognizes God's timing is perfect and doesn't miss God's timing when it's present. Because if David had missed the belief that God's timing was perfect, he wouldn't have been present when it was perfected. He would have done something to, to misalign him in that place. He would have run ahead and been in the wrong place at the wrong time. David was supposed to be on the battlefield that Saul died on, fighting for the opposite team. But the opposite team wouldn't let him fight. David was in the right place at the right time because he trusted in God's plan and God's timing over his plan and his desires. Whatever the circumstance and situation is, let me encourage you today, before you leave this service, on the notepad that you're already taking notes on, to write one thing that God's speaking to you. Because again, here's here's the simple thing for us to do. The simple thing for us to do as a church is to listen, to walk out and say, Pastor Josiah, that was great. Love that message. Pastor Josiah was great. What are you going to do about it? And be like, well, you're not supposed to ask me that question. People stop telling me I do good messages after I say this. What I care more about and what will change your life more is if you write one thing, not five because you can't do it, one thing one person, one circumstance, one whatever, that you will trust God's timing in. And that may, that may involve your prayer time in the morning. My prayer time um, since, you know, for the last however long has been in the morning. I, re- I pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, I forgot, no. <laughs> and in the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. It is highly convicting. Because in that moment, I'm thinking about tomorrow's bill. In that moment, I'm thinking about the time I don't have. Last week, Friday, someone sent me a message to say how the week was. And I'm like, good, I almost finished my Monday to-do list. So in that moment, I'm thinking, how am I going to get these done? And God's like, give us this day. Trust me today. Don't Don't trust about tomorrow for tomorrow. Tomorrow, trust me for tomorrow. Today, trust me for today. Trust that my timing is perfect. Trust that my plan is perfect. Trust that I can provide in the moment. Trust that if you lean in on me, because what does that require me to do? It requires me to take a posture that says, Holy Spirit, let me find you today. Most of us take a posture of, Holy Spirit, let me find you on Sunday. No, no. Holy Spirit wants to find you today. So that when you walk out, this last week, I just spit really good, but it was mostly at Scott, so it was fine. Um... This last week, I was out for coffee with someone. And before I got to the coffee, uh, I, sent, or I, I spent a moment. It doesn't have to be long. We always think it's got to be long. I said, Holy Spirit, please help me hear you. Went into the coffee. Asked the person a question at some point during it. I said, hey, what is, what is your greatest need? And they were flabbergasted by the question. And started to tear up. And I'm like, Sorry? <laughs> No, I didn't say sorry. 
He's like, that, that really hit me. That was emotional. I said, well, it wasn't me. He's like, I, I know. But when you take the moment where God give us today our daily bread, Holy Spirit, help me hear you today for today, then you can say these one things that mean nothing to me. But God can move in the one thing. God spoke and the earth was created. He didn't need a speech. He needed a word. You speak and things are created. Not a speech, just a word. God's timing is perfect. And God's perfecting me for the perfect time, not just for what he wants to do in me, but God ordains those things so that I'm in the right place at the right time, not for just me, but for the person that I say, hey, what's your greatest need? Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. Jesus, it's all you. God, I thank you that we really don't have to um, accomplish much. We just have to be obedient to the little you ask. God, I pray that each person would walk out of this room with this revelation. God's timing is perfect. God, I thank you that I have no idea what that means to anyone in the room. I have no idea how it relates to their circumstances, their situations, their relationships, their finances, their worldview, or any of that. God, I, I thank you that I have no idea. But God, I know that's the word you put on my heart. And God, I know that that touches people where they are because you move. God, I pray that anything of this word that is of me, that it fall apart, God, but the things that are you, that they would agitate us into action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.